Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. He kōna e purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Piki mai kake mai and welcome to Our Changing World. Ko Alison Balance ho. Later in the show, we'll hear about the chemical element holmium. But first, we're going behind the scenes at the New Zealand Centre for Conservation Medicine at Auckland Zoo. It's one of three wildlife hospitals around the country which have been treating 36 sick kākāpō, many of them suffering from the fungal disease aspergillosis. Here's veterinary manager James Chatterton. So this is one of our rooms at the NZCCM and with the help of our maintenance department we've very rapidly um, converted it to a kākāpō hospital. So another big room with an aircon to keep the climate controlled and then a bunch of pens. So normally in a busy year we might have two or three kākāpō perhaps in a whole year. And at the moment we've got 18 birds in the hospital, so it's necessitated us building a whole load of other pens. We're somewhat fortunate the kākāpō can't fly, so we don't have to have covered aviaries for each one. So this is a room with a whole lot of partitions in it, basically. So who have you got in here? Four chicks. So we've got one of Esperance's chicks and one of Quihi's chicks in a pen together. And then we've got two of Awarua's chicks, 3A and 4A, I think. And they're separate because one of them's had a sore leg, but they're going in together today. So we're trying to keep the chicks in with each other in groups of two, three, five. So they've all got friends. The adults, we have to keep one by one because we know they're not particularly pleased at being in the hospital together. So do all of these birds have aspergillosis? So it's still a very dynamic situation. I guess on one hand we've now got a number of adult females affected but we've now found at least one adult female in a high-risk group that doesn't have it. So that makes us hope that we're starting to understand how far the problem might go in the adult females. Unfortunately, across the three different veterinary hospitals involved, all the chicks we've scanned so far, all 17, have all got respiratory disease. And so there's a concern that in all of those 17, it's aspergillosis. We haven't yet CT scanned a chick that's normal. And so that's one of the worries. And the other thing we have to bear in mind is, although the initial birds that died for sure had aspergillosis, and many of the chicks that we've CT scanned have changes that are consistent with aspergillosis. There are actually other organisms that could be causing the same signs on CT. So in some of these birds, we might have to put a little endoscope, a little camera inside their body surgically and take little pieces of the granuloma and culture that and make sure that we don't have more than one thing going on. We're focused on the aspergillosis. It's the most likely thing, but there's a number of other organisms that could be also at work at the same time. So this is a very dynamic situation. It's a big problem to start with and it's it's actually quite complicated and there's lots of threads that we need to pull together and we're right in the middle of understanding that at the moment. But I guess day to day what we're trying to focus on is the individual birds in the hospital and trying to trying to minimize the problem for them. So we're giving them the treatments 
that we think they need to make them healthy and also trying to make their life as happy as it can be whilst being in hospital. There's not many people like being in hospital and I think the Kakapo would agree. We've got maybe around 100 birds on Fenuaho, chicks and adults and juveniles and we've been working through a priority list. You can't CT scan them all in a day. We might not need to CT scan all of them, hopefully not. And so we've been doing a load of investigations to focus our efforts on those that might be at higher risk of disease based on what we understand of the problem and working down that priority list as quickly as we can. And I guess right now we're hoping we're getting towards the end of that priority list, but we don't quite know that for sure yet. And I think the next week or two will help us understand more and know how far this problem goes. Um, but it's certainly a monumental effort by, by DOC and all the rest of us that are able to come in and support them. I think this is unprecedented work, certainly in my career, this level of support for a wild animal. So I really wish we weren't in this situation. I wish I was seeing Karkapur under nice circumstances, but part of me feels that this is why we as a vet hospital exist, to try and help this exact situation, and this is why we get up in the morning to come and try and help patients over this. So it's not always happy outcomes, and it's certainly not stress-free work, but you know, I'm hopeful we can... We can minimise the impact for the individual birds and hopefully minimise the impact on the population as much as possible. Because of the nature of the disease that they've got, we don't know if it's going to be possible to save them all. And we know that we won't know for several months either because it's not even if you can fix it, it's not a quick fix with Aspergillus. And so I think we all have to be patient and resilient. We have to learn from the birds and be as patient and resilient as they are I guess we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know quite how big or how bad the outcome will be at this stage, but we'll get through it one way or another. It must have been gutting to have lost Hoo-Hanna and Hockey. Yeah. I mean, we obviously, we don't like losing any of our patients, and but particularly the old adult breeding females that have such a rich life before them. So I guess with Hoo-Hanna specifically... We knew that the clinical signs that she was showing were that she was slowly starting to choke to death. Her airways were blocking up with aspergillus lesions and despite several weeks of effort and multiple operations, we were unable to fix that. And so we ended up in a stage where we knew that she was going to die. Really sadly, we weren't able to fix her. You know, we want to save all of our patients, but we also know sometimes we can't save them all. And sometimes we can't change the fact that they're going to die, but what we can do is change the way in which they do go. You know, I felt some comfort with Hoo-Hanna in that we could step in a few days before she died naturally and make the end more peaceful than it would have otherwise been. So, of course, that was a really tough decision for us. But actually, I feel like it was a nice decision for her once we understood that there was no hope of her getting better, that we made the end peaceful, because if we'd have not stepped in the way she was going to die would have been really a very horrible way to go. Mm. So this pen's got Esperance 2B and Quihi 2A in it. Esperance 2B is the youngest of the chicks that we've got here and she's been with us the longest and you can see how she's really keen that we're here. So she is like the hand reared chicks so she quite likes people going in with food now and she'll open a beak and, and let us give her her hand-rearing 
food. And so we're always mindful with these hand-reared chicks that they don't imprint. Um, and we know from previous experience the ways in which to do that, to make sure that she still grows up knowing she's a cockerel. But it's kind of nice for us as a vet team when you have patients that are actually quite pleased to see you because you certainly get a very different reaction from the adult females that we've got here who really aren't that happy with us. Um, so we, we like spending time with, with these guys. So some of the other ones are looking quite grown up. Esperance 2B is still looking like a bit of a chick. She's still got some fluff on her. Yeah, the remnants of the grey chick plumage and she's got her adult feathers come through now but they're not quite fully unfurled and fully in place and she's probably only about two-thirds or three-quarters the final size she'll be as well. Alvaroa 3A is chomping around back on the top of her fishbin. Such amazingly different personalities, you know. Even as chicks, some of them are really shy and hide away in the boxes and don't want to come out, and others are really bold but keep themselves to themselves, and other individuals want to come over and interact. And even with the adult females, you know, we know that some of them are real climbers and will try and climb up. Some are very calm and take it all in their stride, all the hospital treatment. Each one's really an individual and some are chatty and noisy and tell you what's going on and others are just really quiet and reserved. I guess some are introverts and extroverts, just the same as people, right? Thanks, James. Now we're off to visit some of the other kākāpō and the vets and nurses looking after them. Hi, I'm Michaeli Wilson, um, clinical coordinator at the zoo in the vet hospital, but also do a lot of field work with Kakabo Recovery. Anchor was pretty special this season. I was on there last season when it was the first time they bred, and that was pretty epic, being out there for the milestone. Yeah. Mind you, this year's been a milestone of, of different kinds. Yes, definitely. Very big season. For numbers and then now what's going on so it's a bit of a high and a low. So 35 birds at the moment of which you've got 18? Yes and so we have five adults and the rest are fledglings or one chick. Okay now where have we come to now? Yeah so we've come to the quarantine building which is our main area for food preparation and also uh, all of our adults are in this building and then from there we head off to our different areas where uh, we have found a space to (laughs) basically making them fit into wherever we can. (laughs) Before I'm allowed into the quarantine area, I have to put on sterile gumboots and overalls. And then my first port of call is the preparation room. Hi, I'm Amy. I'm one of the vet nurses at Auckland Zoo. So what are you busy doing here? We've just finished drawing up the medication for the last remaining kakapo that need to be uh, fed and medicated. So what medication are you actually giving them? So it's uh, quite a combination. We have them on pain relief, which is an anti-inflammatory, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. We have them on enrofloxacin, which is an antibiotic. Some of these guys are also on an oral vulconazole, which is an antifungal treatment. We are also nebulising them. Uh, We've got two different drugs that we're nebulising them with, depending on the bird. It's either vulconazole, a different version of the vulconazole antifungal, or it's amphotericin B, which is a different antifungal. And then in the evenings, they're also getting tubinophene, which is yet another antifungal. So we're hitting them all sides with the antifungals. 
Right next door are three of the five kākāpō mums that are currently at Auckland Zoo. Weherua Tanga o te pō, Ihi and Ponamu. Today is time for the weekly blood testing. So and you're the vet taking the blood samples today? Yeah, today I'm the lucky one. So you're just prepping for that? Yeah, we're just getting all the slides ready, the uh, blood tubes, the syringes and stuff, so that we don't have to hold the bird too long, not cause more stress than needed. You look like a bit of a laundry in here. You've got a huge bin full of towels. Yeah, it's a huge amount of uh, washing that needs to be done because we keep the birds on uh, blankets sorry, and on towels to also make sure they don't develop any issues with their feet. So it's all very carefully uh, managed. But that, of course, results in a lot of washing. And also a lot of people have been donating a lot of towels and things, which has been great because we really need a lot of it and we go through a lot. And we have lots of volunteers helping with all the washing, which is amazing too because it's some major work. So you can imagine if you have one baby how much work that is. And we have like now, yeah, 18 birds and they poo a lot. So uh, it's a lot of washing and cleaning. You've got a pile of vegetation in the corner here as well. Uh, yeah, they get a lot of enrichment. It's just, uh, yeah, to keep them happy, of course. Uh, it's also something where they can hide under if they feel like, you know, they want to hide away a little bit. Uh, they also eat from it. So it keeps them busy, gives them nutrition, and it's a pl- place to hide. So it's, yeah, perfect enrichment. It's, again, like a lot of team effort because all this gets collected by staff at the zoo. Fantastic. So I can see... Palm fronds, I can see pseudopanics, yeah, pohutakawa, totara. Yeah, and there are a couple that they normally wouldn't get on the island, like pine, which they actually really love, which is a nice and easy one for us to provide. famously raised three chicks on pine, so the Fiordland babies were raised on pine, so some bad Gulliver and Kuya, it didn't do them any harm. It's also good enrichment for us because it always smells so nice here. Like the enrichment has this really nice smell and the birds have a really nice smell too. So it's nice to come in here. <laughs> so who are you going to do first? So if I pronounce this rightly, Wihipu. She's one of the adults and uh, yeah, we're just going to take some bloods from her. I can already hear her. Um, she probably knows something is coming up. <laughs> But it's really needed uh, to help them, um, you know, getting through this and uh, for us to be able to give them the right treatments and, and, and follow-ups. She's probably been taking a bath because she's really wet. They like to go in their water bowls and just splash around and have a little swim. So we're taking a weight now from her. We're taking weights uh, every day to make sure they're staying on their weight or even increasing most of them actually need to gain some weight they lost quite a bit of weight during the breeding season especially the adult females uh, feeding the chicks having to take care of the chicks um, takes of course toll on them and they lose some weight so we just have to make sure they gain some when they're here because she's been in the in the water bowl She's really having cold feet, which makes the blood taking much more difficult because the veins kind of collapse and then the blood doesn't run well. So we might have to warm up our feet a little bit before we're actually going to be able to get a blood sample. Do you want to explain what your handy foot warmer is? So the foot warmer is a latex glove that has warm water in it. It's, you've got to be careful, make sure you don't get too hot because you can burn and, of course, too cold. It's just going to constrict those vessels a bit more. So. A novel use for a latex glove. So we got a good blood sample now. So with the blood sample, what are you actually testing for? 
So we're doing actually a whole range of testing. So partially is what we call hematology, which actually shows inflammation in the blood. So it gives an idea about the white blood cells and uh, all the different types of white blood cells. And it gives us an in- indication of yeah how the body is reacting to an infection or an inflammation. And then we also do biochemistry, which shows more uh, how the organ systems are working. Is the liver working okay? Are the kidneys working okay? And uh, several other values. We're also taking some bloods to actually see because they are on quite strong medication to treat the aspergillosis infection to make sure that actually the medication is well absorbed and gives good blood levels. So we're doing some pharmacology. And we're also making sure that there's no side effects on the medication we're giving or that we have to make any adaptations. So we're now putting her in the nebulizer, which is part of the treatment. So they get treatment which is actually nebulized in a smaller environment, which they then inhale, which then can directly work into the, into the lungs and the trachea. So she's one of the birds that definitely has aspergillosis? Yes, yeah, so they have been CT scanned and they all show respiratory lesions. It's very hard to actually know 100% if it's aspergillosis or if there's also other infections, so there can still be bacterial infections also. So aspergillosis is a fungal infection, but you can also have bacterial infection that can give similar lesions on the CT scan. But for some birds, we know for sure that it has been aspergillus, so we suspect in this case too, um, because that's yeah what we have found in all the other ones. So that's the nebulizer being turned on. Yeah. So that's the equivalent of us putting our head over a bowl of hot water with a towel over our head. Uh, Yeah, it would be similar, but of course with stronger drugs. And this is actually used also more and more for uh, humans. Um, So these nebulizers are actually used in in, in humans too. Um, We're using a very specific type though because they have a very different respiratory system. It gets absorbed differently, so you need a, a specific type of nebulizer. How long does, will she stay in there for? So she will stay in for half an hour in this box, yeah. And then after that, she will be fed. Uh, she still needs her food. Can you just quickly explain to me how bird lungs work and how they're different from us? So the bird respiratory system is quite different in a way that they don't only have lungs, they also have air sacs. So it's a very different system how the air actually enters into the lungs and into the air sacs. So, yeah, they also don't have a diaphragm like we have. So there's no division between, like, we have a thorax and an abdomen, and in between there we got our diaphragm, which actually separates it. So in birds, it's actually one system, so it works quite differently. Anne and the team have two more mums to take blood from. Ihi, who will need nebulizer treatment as well, and Ponamu. So Ponamu is the, is the last one we're doing. She's always uh, yeah, giving a bit of a fight too and making a lot of noise. She so, doesn't have aspergillosis though? At the moment, at, on the CT scan, there's no indication that she has aspergillosis. She will still stay with us because uh, she also is on a lower weight after the breeding season. And also we want to make sure that we know what's going on on the island before we would put her back. But we definitely want her to gain condition again, so that's why she will still stay with us. I'm now off to see some of the chicks being fed, so it's back to the preparation area. Time for lunch, is it? Uh, Still breakfast, actually. (laughs) Breakfast for the birds. Yeah, this is a late brunch. (laughs) So what's that delicious brown slop you've got on Uh, that enormous syringe? Yeah, it is an enormous syringe. So this is actually a Katie's um, powdered diet for um, hand-rearing baby parrots. 
and this is their baby bird formula that we're feeding our juveniles, I guess you call them now, because they're not really chicks anymore. Do so you look like you're adding little amounts of something there? What's that? So um, they're on three different um, medicines in the morning, oral medicines, I should say. So one's an antibiotic, one's an anti-inflammatory, and the third one's an antifungal. So you're so, just popping that in with yeah, the food? Yeah, exactly. So we just hide it in there just to try and minimise the amount of stress that we put in the birds because then we can just feed it to them via the tube, mixed in with their food, and then we know it's getting right into their crop rather than sort of trickling into their beak. A little cocktail. It's <laughs> quite the drug regime. <laughs> We have to go outside now, so it's off with the clean gumboots and overalls, and we will put new ones on once we reach the building that the chicks are in. On our way there, we pass a couple of hard-working volunteers. You look like you're the laundry brigade. We are. <laughs> so you're volunteering and helping doing all the washing of the sheets and the towels and the... And everything else that doing. comes with it, yes. <laughs> it's like having a whole lot of children, isn't it? Worse. It's a privilege to be able to help. Oh, good on you. Yeah. We've moved to one of your other buildings. You've got kakapo stashed all over the place around here. <laughs> we do at the moment, yes. Yeah. So we're kind of building more and more pens as we're receiving more of them. So, yeah, so this room's quite a really nice room for them to be in because it's lots of space and we've got a group of juveniles in here, five of them. So, yeah. So how do you know who's who? To start off, there's two different, like, different colour variation in the feathers, but... That doesn't always help you. So this um, is a, an olive one? Yes, this is an olive bird. So um, that kind of reduces the number down, but uh, it doesn't tell us individually who it is. So all the birds are microchipped now. So we've got a scanner, and we just to be 100% sure, we scan every single bird to make sure that we're feeding the right medication in particular to the right birds. So this one is 877 is Pearl. That's Pearl 2B. So you're going to feed them with a feeding tube directly into their crop? Exactly, yep. So Pearl was still being very nice to us and very kind to us, and she'll let us feed her with a chick tube, which is much less stressful because she's quite happy just to sit there. The other ones that are getting a bit chompy on your fingers, we have to restrain as adults, so a little bit more stressful, but still quick. You try and make it as fast and as stressless as possible for the birds and for me. <laughs> Breakfast over, Pearl 2B strolls off. <laughs> I just love it when they waddle off. <laughs> Not all the juveniles are this laid back. Meet Nora 1A, who the vet staff say complains about everything loudly. So I take it this is Nora. This is Nora coming, yeah. You can hear her a long way off. So Nora was handed in Invercargill for a short period then spent some time in a nest with a mother and is now here. So she's had an interesting life. So A big thanks to the vets and vet nurses at Auckland Zoo. And this story is from the latest episode of The Kākāpō Files, which also has the very latest Kākāpō news. You'll find it on the Our Changing World and the podcast webpages at rnz.co.nz. Kei te whakaronga mai koe ki tō tātou auhorihori. Hei hōtaka, e pāniki, a papa tuanuku, tangaroa, mei rangi nui. I'm Alison Balance, and you're with Our Changing World on RNZ, where... It's time for some chemistry. 
the Elemental podcast is celebrating the 150th birthday of the Periodic Table of Elements. And here's Professor Alan Blackman from the Auckland University of Technology with tonight's chemical element. It's holmium, folks. Probably not a very well-known element to those of you outside the chemistry field. If it had a catch cry, it would probably be something like uh, really obscure but a really important surgical laser. Well, its name, holmium, makes it sound wholesome somehow, but... Of course, holmium doesn't have the W on it. It's spelled H-O-L-M. But actually, I can't begin to guess where that name comes from. So holmium comes from the Latin holmia, which was, in fact, the name for Stockholm in Latin. So we had another Latinized city name, and that was Hafnium, wasn't it, for Copenhagen? Yep, indeed. But actually, it has much more in common with erbium and the Swedish village of Itterby. Holmium is another one of these lanthanoids, vital statistics, uh, elemental symbol HO, atomic number 67, and discovered in 1878. And as we have gone through many lanthanoids in our journey so far, you'll not be surprised to know that its discovery was uh, typically tortuous and started with a sample of yttrium, and then that was found to be impure, and that was found to contain both erbium and terbium. And then the former, the erbium, was found to contain both ytterbium and holmium, hence the link to that little village outside Stockholm called Itterby. These lanthanoids are very tricky. <laughs> Is holmium common? Uh, it's about the 56th most abundant element in the Earth's crust, which, you know, puts it sort of around about halfway-ish. And in terms of abundance, holmium obeys a thing called the Otto-Harkins rule. Ah, tell me more. <laughs> oh, yes. So it has an odd atomic number. And what we find is pretty much a rule for all of the elements is that the abundances of even-numbered elements are greater than the abundances of odd numbers. And so what we find is the abundances go up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, all the way through the list of elements on the periodic table, which is kind of interesting. So holmium itself is less abundant than its immediate even-numbered neighbours, which are, if you can remember, dysprosium and erbium. Yes, we have done both of those. <laughs> we have indeed. But in fact, of the odd-numbered lanthanoids, it is in fact the most abundant. And the whole odd-even thing, the Otto-Harkins rule, is all to do with paired protons being more stable than single protons. But then we're getting into nuclear physics and we're not going to go there. That's right, because you're a chemist. Anyway, <laughs> does holmium have any notable features? Oh, every element has notable features, Alison. <laughs> Goodness. So, like many of the lanthanoids, uh, its most notable feature is its magnetic properties. And the particular claim to fame for holmium is that it has the distinction of having the largest magnetic moment of all the elements, which is kind of interesting. And so, therefore, if you want to make a magnet stronger, what you do is put a piece of holmium at both poles and you'll end up with a stronger magnet because of holmium's magnetic properties. The trouble with this is that it doesn't retain the magnetic field in the absence of the magnet, though. Oh. Mm. And our last episode, we are talking about helium, and uh, it's important in cooling MRI 
superconducting magnets. Holmium is, in fact, one of the elements used in said superconducting magnets. Now, while we're in hospitals, and you mentioned surgical lasers <laughs> at the beginning, so now would be a good time for you to tell me about Holmium and surgical lasers. Okay, these have the wonderful name Ho-Yag lasers. So that is short for Holmium-doped yttrium-aluminium garnet, of all things. Now, how do these work? Well, they give out light that is invisible to our naked eye, but it's out there in the infrared. So radiation around about a wavelength of 2,100 nanometers. And this wavelength uh, means that the radiation is going to be very, very strongly absorbed by water. Now, as you know, there's a lot of water in the body. So this combination of factors makes these lasers really, really ideal for making precise cuts in tissue during surgical procedures. Because of all the water, you know that that's going to absorb basically all of the energy of the laser within a distance of around about half a millimetre or so. So you're talking very, very, very precise cuts to very, very precise depths. Even more useful is that these cuts also self-cauterize, so you don't need stitches and stuff like that. Because of its broad range of surgical applications, these Holmium YAG lasers, uh, by the early 1990s they were being called the Swiss Army Knife of Lasers. That's lovely. (laughs) They're also very, very useful if you've got urinary stones. Uh, You can use these lasers, shine them on the urinary stones, and then they break up into smaller particles and that hopefully can be painlessly excreted. So surprisingly useful in hospitals. Interesting Hmm. fact, please. Okay, so in 2017, and this was quite remarkable, a single holmium atom was used as a computer bit by IBM. So we know that computers work basically in binary, so they're reading zeros and ones. So this single holmium atom was basically able to be read as either a zero or a one owing to its magnetic properties. So this is quite extraordinary for certainly the future of data storage. If we can get single atoms being interrogated to uh, give an answer of either a zero or a one, then this is going to massively, massively increase the way that we can store data. It's an order of magnitude at least over what we've got now. Thanks, Alan. That was Alan Blackman from the Auckland University of Technology from the Elemental podcast, which has also just covered helium and before that, hafnium. You'll find the Elemental podcast along with the Kākāpō files on the Our Changing World webpage, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. If you'd like to get in touch, you'll find us on Twitter and Facebook as RNZ Science. Many thanks for your company. Until next time, it's good night from me, Alison Balance, Paul Marie. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.